Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you, the listeners, can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Random Productions, which is my company. So if you like how we sound and are thinking about starting a podcast, reach out to me. I am very easy to find. Pod for Good can be found anywhere you get your podcast. If you enjoy what we do here, please make sure to subscribe and share this episode on social media. That is how people find out about this ridiculous thing that we do. I am your chief philanthropod and class clown for justice, number one, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod and your class clown for justice, BA5, Chris Miller. In this episode, we are talking with Crystal Patrick, executive director of Racism Stinks. We talked to Crystal about the goal of Racism Stinks, how to be a better ally, and Jesse somehow resists the urge to rant about the federal highway system twice. I-244. Luckily, Crystal did that for me. Enjoy, everybody. We are very excited to have Crystal Patrick, the executive director of Racism Stinks on Pod for Good today. Crystal, how are you doing today? I'm doing mighty fine. How are you guys doing, Chris and Jesse? All things considered, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're here. Yeah. Uh, This is the second Pod for Good episode in the history of Pod for Good, where we're recording it with one of us being positive for COVID. So that's two milestones. So, yep. (laughs) Yay. Uh, I'd like to record an episode with every variant. I got to collect all of those. You know. <laughs> collect them all. Yeah, like Pokemon. All. Yes. <laughs> so, so Crystal, first off, how long have you been involved with Racism Stinks? I have been involved with Racism Stinks since um, the end of 2019. I was a volunteer um, and I actually met Baxter at a social event and then found out that he was executive director of Racism Stinks, or he was the founder of Racism Stinks, excuse me. And so around 2019, I I volunteered at the race and kind of came on board to help fill in some gaps. And then it was about 2021 where I actually became the executive director. So is is Baxter in hearing hearing range of this conversation right now? Okay. Baxter, hi. Um, he says hi. <laughs> I see Baxter at many, many things. <laughs> so looking at uh-huh. Racism Stinks, its website, and what what trying to do, briefly explain to us what the goal of Racism Stinks is. Well, the goal of Racism Stinks is to bring, um, like, there's like a goal of, we want to bring racial healing to Tulsa. When you tell people that, they're like, oh, good luck. We're like, yeah, we know, right? <laughs> but actually, <laughs> but we want to do it through education and um, community engagement activities and um, programs that will actually um, bring that awareness to people, Um, people who are white identifying, white presenting, who want to become allies already, feel like that they are in the throes of allyship or just curious about anti-racism. Like, so we're like the soft approach to anti-racism. So not making... Uh, us white people feel guilty instantaneously about it, even though we should be. Yeah, that's the, exactly. That's the thing because like, you know, that's not, that's definitely never the goal because at the end of, at the beginning and the end of the day, like we are all here. We all have arrived to this point, right? None of us were around 
when a lot of these racist policies and and things, um, a lot how America was founded, a lot of the, you know, just the very foundation, you know, oh God, did I CRT it? No, because that's not what critical race theory is, right? But there are some very, very, can we say questionable beginnings of this country that that were established as law and that have trickled down today. And not, and we don't even have to go like back in the far past. We can point to things that, you know, that have happened today in modern history that are still happening that point to that. So it's not about making people, because I can't control how anybody feels. If you feel guilty, that's like some inner work that you need to do. But what we can do is bring an awareness to, you know, a truthful, you know, shine a, a truthful light on some of the things that have happened and are happening right now in this country that just continues to perpetuate racism, really systemic racism in all of its forms because racism is a system, you know. Um, and so that's what I tell people. You didn't do anything to cause this. You literally did not, you know, come up with the but with redlining. You did not, you know, pull out a map of the United States and all the cities and decide to, to cut, um, to put highways right through some of the most prosperous, you know, black and brown neighbors. None of us did that. But becoming an, an aware, becoming aware that that means that you are now responsible for the information. And you now you have an opportunity to do something with that information using your position, not your privilege, because, you know, that's another scary word people don't like to hear, but your pri- your position in, in whatever area and whatever sphere of influence you have to like kind of start chipping away. It's like a subconscious awareness that we're trying to bring because it's so um, like people just literally are not aware of some of the things that have led to, you know, what we see today. Well, I think that's important. I mean, you would think that you wouldn't have to explain to someone that like, it's not your fault that you're part of this system, but the system was already there and recognizing how the system interacts with you versus other people. And I still feel like people get hesitant about that because they don't want to feel like they're getting something that not everyone is getting. Because at least from a white person's perspective, we were so ingrained that America is a meritocracy and that we are all equal, blah, blah, blah. And breaking that, breaking that away from somebody is is painful but necessary. Well, it's very painful. And you know what? It's like going through like the I forgot how many stages of grief that there are when people come into self-awareness. I and um, my experience with, um, we just did a beta test of our ally boot camp, which is going to be a nine month cohort, kind of following the leadership Tulsa model of visiting different places in the city that are culturally culturally relevant and having you know breaking bread together, having dinner, you know what we meet. We're going to meet once a month, and we'll have homework and you know a book to read. We'll hook up with each other and and and, and build this community of allies who have each other, you know, and be able to pull from each other. Not only like different resources, but you know, pull strength from each other. You know, some people are like, oh, you know, there's this notion that just be, that because you're white or white presenting that that you shouldn't feel any of the different stages once this, and and I don't agree with that. Once the unveiling starts to happen, then you start peeling away and you feel like you go through anger, you feel lied to. And then you, it's like literally waking up, like waking up out of a sleep, right? And then when you see other people still walking around sleep, asleep, you go through all of these different emotions and you just kind of want to shake people. And I've, I've seen this happen over and over again. And maybe y'all have seen it with like well-meaning and well-intentioned people who will actually end up ostracizing and causing more division because they, you, because now they see. And so that's one of the things that we do at Racism Stings, especially particularly with the Ally Bootcamp. We provide 
Um, we we give um self we have we'll have somebody come in and do like a whole session on self-care. We take personality assessments, the Enneagram, the IDR, and we really start to um deep dive into ourselves, right? And then like as as we start having an awareness of ourselves, then we it's kind of like organically happens. We start to see more and more how like we actually participate in this system that benefits, you know, the majority. And and I'll even go as far as to say that no matter what skin you walk around in this, in this country, I don't care what skin you walk around in. If you somehow escape, let's just say you're white, white presenting. If you are the one person that literally escapes um, having um, having some biases, implicit bias, having you know stereotypical thoughts and stuff, then we you are a unicorn because literally everywhere we turn, we have things that reinforce these negative images. You know whether it's about um, you know black people, Hispanic people, the queer community, or whatever. And so when we put ourselves into these silos, and it's easy to do that if you're part of the dominant, you know, um, majority, the dominant race or whatever you want to call it, because race is not even real. We talk about that now. I do can. First book we read is um, Witnessing Whiteness. And boy, even in our beta test, there were some people that were like, eh, I'm like, no, it's hard, isn't it? It really is hard. Once you start to uncover that stuff, that's why we wanted to provide a community and a place for people as they're doing this uncovering and this unveiling to like feel empowered. We want our allies to be competent to have because it's going to take it's going to take courage and and you're also going to have to be um, competent and you're also going to have confidence in this fight. I, I think you bring up really interesting point along that because, you know, from from my perspective, you know, there were things in growing up that were difficult for me, you know, that I had to work for. And the idea of white privilege was difficult for me at first because I'm like, well, I didn't come from money I had to work for. So it's something that took a process for me to come to terms with the ideas and the idea of how structural uh, racism benefited mm-hmm. me, right? It wasn't something that I came right. to immediately. It's it's still a continuous right. work in progress. and and. I know that I sometimes do this when I talk to other people that are still in sort of that denial phase that I want them to immediately be like, what are you missing? It's so obvious, right? But knowing it took me a while to get to that point, and sometimes I don't always give other that people grace, yeah. the opportunity to, to make that journey. So I love the idea of a, of a boot camp and a community around it to help not only get right. people there, but train allies to know how to approach that conversation better so that they don't just alienate people when they try to talk about these subjects. Absolutely. And I, and that's one of the things that we run across is, is exactly that people, um, is, is you kind of like really want to shake people like out of your sleep. I'm like, how could you not see this? Right. Well, you know, to be an ally to any type of, I, you know, and, and going back to these terms, right. Um, Baxter, He's no longer with racism stinks, but, you know, he's still on the outer edges or whatever. But one of the things that he was emphatic about as a founder was changing some of the language because we see, you know, how, you know, many media really use that language, you know, just to drive profits. And the average person, it's really strikes me that, you know, that the average person watching the news doesn't understand that the news is, um, you know, like you're watching advertising, like there's an agenda, a certain, you know what I mean? Like the average person doesn't know that. So when you hear words and you have politicians using dog dog whistle, you know, terms like white privilege, I know plenty of white people, 
you know what I mean? Who didn't grow up with a silver spoon in her mouth, who struggled and, you know, plenty who literally had to get it out of the mud. Like they didn't have, you know, inheritance, somebody to pass them down things, whatever. That is not the, that is not what, when, when we talk about white privilege. So Baxter came up with this term called the American white standard. And which is really the American white standard is literally everything else is measured up against that, the American white standard. And so if you grow up white or white presenting in this country, it's so normalized to you that you don't even recognize it. So when you start to see other um, people being represented and other identities being represented, you actually start to feel oppressed, like somehow you're shrinking and becoming invisible because you are no longer the dominant one in the spotlight. Everybody else who's been here all along is now wanting to have, you know, some of the same type of, you know, um, recognition and, and just being seen and heard and living like human beings. I don't know who said the quote, and I wish I could remember it verbatim, but it was basically goes along the lines of, you know, to the privileged or whatever, like when, when the, when the scales kind of like even out and the, and the, and they balance out and that begins to feel like oppression. And so we we deal with that a lot. So changing some of the terms from like white privilege to things that cause that visceral reaction. Like we don't say white supremacy either, racism stinks, because that enforces this subconscious thing that if if white is supreme, then I inherently must be inferior. So, you know, like there's just so much like in, in the words and the language that we use that I don't that people don't, I don't, you know, we don't really realize how much. The, how much of this language we have accepted and allowed ourselves to be manipulated into holding certain mindsets and beliefs without really doing an inventory of ourselves, and that's really what racism stinks is about. Is um, especially the ally boot camp is like having a place where people can can come and take that inventory. It's not easy, y'all. It is not. What it's you, not easy. Yeah. <laughs> so what 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 term do you like to use instead of white supremacy? Um, the American white standard. Okay, so the American white standard replaces multiple. Right. Terms, yeah. Because it's just it just is, you yeah. know, you go back to the Constitution. Right, guys. And the founding fathers said all, all men are created equal. And you start writing out who are the men and everyone who it's not. Then you literally are left with white male landowners. So that means that poor white men were cut out of that. You're not equal to us, you know, white women. You know what I mean? But it's just until you get people to see mm-hmm. things from a certain way and they have that aha moment, either they'll embrace it and all the work that it comes with it, or they will literally run away from it. And I've seen that happen, too. I'm assuming that first book that you were talking about in your boot camp discusses the fact that, like, the definition of who is white has changed over American history. And um, that's the thing I wish I could explore more, like, in a VR setting where I could just put mm-hmm. a random white person in and they have to come in as, like, an Italian immigrant in 1910 <laughs> and see what that was like, or an yeah. Irish immigrant or a Jewish immigrant, and be like, wait, I'm not white. Not at this particular moment, you're not. Not until there are more yeah. non-white people here. <laughs> and right. people feel bad, so they, they need more white people. <laughs> Exactly. It's so oh, wild, it's, y'all. Yeah. It's so wild. I mean, I, I think someone's got to do some polling on this, but if we, if we had to ask, you know, a random 1,000 Americans to define who's included in white people, I'd be very interested in seeing that because, like, my yeah. view of that is much different from, from Chris's right. view, probably from your view. And, like, every time I have to fill that out, I don't like putting, like, white Caucasian on my thing. I bet you that the majority would say it's, People of Probably, Western yeah. European descent. I think most Americans, that's what they picture when they think white. They think people from England right. and <laughs> Greece, yeah. Turkey, Russia. Like, is that the border? Uh, yeah. Like when, when they start getting more and more tan, like, when, where's the line? <laughs> right? Like, n- North Africans yeah. are, right, not as dark as 
the countries in the middle of Africa, but like still Africans, right? But like, you know, Egyptians, Mm -hmm. are Egyptians black? That's always a fun question I've I've heard brought up. Right. And when we start even getting into that, like, it just, it's just so silly that we define ourselves by, you know, how much melanin we have or don't have in our skin. Because if you say somebody is black, well, first of all, really? Okay. But then what you were just talking about, like people who quote unquote are black come in. I have a cousin who's about you all's has your skin shape. You know what I mean? And she's black. You know, it's just just mm-hmm. a weird concept. It's weird. You know, that we apply to people. It's just an easy way, a lazy way of uh, bo- boxing people yeah. in. And rather than having to, like, do any type of, like, you know, any little bit of critical thinking about this person as a human being, it's just easy to put, throw people in that box. Again, um, with all of your biases just affirmed by entertainment, by the news, by all of these things that have an agenda, so. If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, ugh, gross. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber rich. Tallgrass begs to differ. Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess, because they're nerds, over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan is exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918 770-8940 and start your plan today or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation for free it's right there on the website and of course there's more because this is a podcast ad if you tell them you're a pot for good listener they're going to take 25 percent off their service fees just tell them pot for good sent you Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website, which I'm not going to read out to you again. It's in our show notes. Thank you, Tallgrass. Yeah, uh, Chris and I, we end up talking about representation in media a lot in this podcast just because that seems to really upset mm-hmm. white people. And, <laughs> and like, you know, a really... I, I, I wish I could sit every single one of them down and be like, think about all the movies you loved as a child, right? You right. are seeing yourself in all of those movies. Doesn't everybody else also deserve that? Mm-hmm. That's not taking away from you. Yeah. So that's, that's crazy. It's, you know what? I think it just really kind of goes to back to the scarcity mentality that, that I think has just per, like permeated our culture. I mean, like way before, I mean, you know, we live in a capitalistic society, but you know, we're allegedly we're the, Richest, you know, we grow. I don't know how old you are, but I grew up. I was a child of the '80s, so American exceptionalism was the idea of the day. There was no if, ands, or buts. You know what I mean? And also, my parents in their generation, like I'm trying to tell people, we're not that far removed. Y'all do know that my parents could not sit at the same lunch counters as your parents, right? You guys, like, you know, it's just so strange that that like we have this idea that it happened. So long ago, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I'm like, you know, it's so crazy that like if we teach um, 
because I used to be an educator. I used to be a classroom teacher and I still like teach children um, through different foundations. I'll do like writer's workshop and stuff like that. And um, it's just so interesting. If you talk about all the lynchings that um, were happening, especially like in the Jim Crow South, especially after uh, post-reconstruction, and then you see pictures of children smiling while there's the bodies swinging in the trees above them. And then you say, you all, like, that's someone's grandma right there. Like, that could be your grandmother. That could be your great-grandmother. You know what I mean? But not only did this type of of hatred and racial violence, you know, rob Black people of their dignity. And, you know, racism stinks is against racism, period. I don't, it doesn't matter what skin you walk around in. But it also robbed white people of their humanity because now you have been conditioned to see other human beings as animals and not the same as you in order to like start justifying some of this, you know, some of these ideas and this treatment again, backed by, you know, (laughs) the, all the interests that love to keep those divisions going. There's so many different directions we could go from this. Uh, (laughs) I mean, like, you know, so we're recording this, like (laughs) it's like July 12th. I don't even know what particular phase we would call this bizarre world we are currently living in, but it feels like it's getting, there's like less and less time between crises and it just feels like it, like, I guess since April of 2020 has not, has been a nonstop. What else is wrong with our society? How are we going to fix it? We can't even talk to the people we need to talk to, to fix it. They don't want to talk to us. And, you know, I'm normally a very optimistic person. I still am, but I am having problems seeing a path forward mm-hmm. for this without some sort of large cathartic event right. that I would don't want to experience. I'm I'm with you on yeah. that. Like, please, we don't need a, an event to bring us all together as Americans. That's not what we're trying to do. Because again, that thing can happen. And guess what? Those racial tensions and those things are still, it's just kind of like this, um, like these tensions have been bubbling and bubbling and bubbling and bubbling for, you know, decades now hundreds a hundred years at least you know and now that it's like the lid has been like you know shaken on top of the pot and now it's just like i feel like it's just full-on running over the sides of the stove and down on the floor it's like it's just like super wild to me to see um, the time we live in right now well and it seemed like i don't know maybe as we were growing up in the 90s and then into the early 2000s i wouldn't say racism wasn't there it's felt like people were more ashamed of it. And then sometime, I don't know if I could pinpoint exactly when, I think, Jesse, you were talking about maybe when the Uh Tea Party bubbled up. Um, It seemed like people started being less and less ashamed of their racism. And it feels like it has become not only more and more in the open, but more mainstream. Yeah, and then like around when the Tea Party uh, made its debut, you know, it's almost like, people like really started to some of the news sources they're just so extreme on both sides right and then you start to understand if you think if you have any little inkling of critical thinking you understand that like there's money to be made in in racism and division and stoking people's fears because that's literally what we saw happening with the tea party right and then for how many years you know what i mean and let's not and you know um (laughs) 
Barack Obama was not some, you know, he was not the magical Negro that you saw in all the movies and stuff that, that you know, come to He wasn't today. Will Smith in that one golf movie? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Legend of Bagger Vance, I think, is the right. one you're thinking of, Jesse. So, but, um, but really, the fact that for years, you know, and at that time I was deep, so I have a, a different type of point of view because I was very deep in the church during that time. So I was... Unfortunately, I was a Christian before I was a black woman, which is so crazy, but it, it happened, right? And, um, you know, I'm not very, I'm not um, proud of that past, but hey, it got me to where I am today. But Barack Obama, like when he was elected, you know, is like a lot of people felt, a lot of allies felt like, oh, the work is over now. Oh, you know, and even when Biden was elected just now, I literally heard somebody say, oh, thank God, now things can go back to normal. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and these are some well-meaning. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which normal? Which normal exactly. are we talking how, about? How could you live through the Trump administration and ever think the work is ever done? Ever done. Like, I, I've never thought it, there was an endpoint to racism, right? It's a, it's a, all sort of hatred is a continuing journey against the, the, the battles of people wanting to hate other people. That battle never ends. That's right. The only thing 2016 did was point that out to a lot of people who That's right. didn't want, pretended that they didn't care about that, but did. That's right. And then right? you see like, um, for how many years did we have to, I remember I was working um, at a place and there was a young girl, she was in her twenties and um, she, and this girl got all of her information from her parents. And she told me that she thought Barack Obama was a secret terrorist and a secret Muslim. She really, and I had to look at her. I'm like, like people really believe that. So for eight years, we had to, we were told that he was going to take our guns. He was secretly bringing, you know, terrorists over here. You know, and it's just so wild to me that, that people believed this. They wanted to believe it. So what is about human nature that we really will twist our minds to, you know, to cling to that type of nonsense when there was nothing to even back that up to show that that was even true. Like it goes so, it's so, so, so much um, deeper. Like, and when you talked about Jesse, what you just said, yeah, it is a tale as old as time. And like the fact that um, we keep looking at each other as the enemy or like someone else is the cause of my problems instead of like really, it's just like, how do, why do we keep repeating these same cycles? Why are people waking up? I don't, I don't know why people think, one, that we can just get rid of racism by electing a public official. Like, that's going to end it. Because, like, it's not like everyone who voted voted for him. Right. One. Right. Uh, second of all, have, like, I just, I don't get it. Like, our, we are evolutionary trained. We're evolutionary trained to stereotype. That's how that's our brains it. work. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not about not having stereotypical thoughts. It's about what you do with those stereotypical thoughts, how you process yes. them. That's why. And I don't know why that's so hard to explain to people. And like it's and, okay. Right. It's okay to have racist thoughts. Is what did you do with those thoughts? There's you your go. actions. And when we talk about the position of power, like I, as a black woman, I can have the most racist thoughts all day, but my position right now in life, I'm not able to. I don't have any power to actually cause harm on you. Whereas if I'm, you know, a CEO, a teacher, and I'm walking around in, in, in a different skin than I am now, right? Or I, I might have a little bit more power to harm you because of my um, biases. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so crazy when people like, 
really think. I'm like, how did you escape it? Because even within interculturally, you know, we have to disrupt the same system that we have all been under within ourselves, whether it's interculturally, like myself with another Black person, some thoughts that uh, that I have to disrupt myself that I've gotten from, you know, dominant society or about another um, another religion, race or whatever. I'll never forget um, when I was working in Utica Square at the Wild Fork in the patio, I was on the patio and there was a woman, a, um, a lot of people who practiced um, the Muslim faith, they ate there because they, you know, Wild Fork was like... Um, very like inclusive, you know, the owners, you know, were the LGBTQ community, people knew that they can come there, you know what I mean? And have a nice meal. Well, this woman walked up the sidewalk and this was probably around 2008, 2009. She had a full on, she had a burqa and all I could see were her eyes. And my initial reaction was like, <gasps> you know what I mean? Cause this is around all the time of, you know, quote unquote terrorism and all this. And then I, I checked myself. I said, why does that, why does her get that reaction from you? But some of the nuns from Monte Casino, when they come over here to eat, do not. And so I had to recognize that within myself and understand you've been conditioned to think one is bad and one is good. If I, as a black woman, can recognize that about myself, it's just like, come on, y'all. And that's what we talk about our ally boot camp and, and racism things. I think people resonate with our mission because myself, and even when Baxter was at the forefront, you know, we have been in spaces all our entire lives, you know, where we interacted with people that don't look like us, um, especially, I don't know if you all know the the origin of why racism, racism stinks was even founded. Um, the founder, when he, he did a stint in prison for selling drugs, got out, changed his life. He was actually sentenced to 121 years, but hold himself up in the law library and was able to use case law to overturn his conviction because there were some you know, to be frank, um, lies that were um, in as some of the charges. And so when he got out, he made a promise that as much energy as he put into selling drugs and, and doing bad, he was going to put into doing good. So he ended up going to TCC and joined the paralegal program, joined every honor society he could think of, you know, graduated with honors, um, became an officer in the African-American Student Association, of which Dr. Dwayne Dickens was the the, um, the sponsor, the faculty advisor. And so around that time, 2015, 2016, um, I think it was Mike Brown got shot, um, Ferguson, Ferguson happened. And then of course, in our own city, Terrence Crutcher was killed by Betty Shelby. And so, um, but white kids, his peers were coming up to him saying what it's like, it was the first time that you would start to see, of course, with Trayvon Martin and, and all that. But we started to see like in real time through technology, what was happening that people were really unaware of. Because again, we've been conditioned to think that certain people like the police could do no wrong. Oh, the police aren't human. You know what I mean? Like we've just been conditioned to 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 um, this hero worship of all kinds of people. Like if someone's in a position of authority, of course they're benevolent and can't do any wrong. And so, um, so that's kind of, so Baxter found out that yes, absolutely. They could join in. They could become allies, you know. At that time, Black Lives Matter wasn't around. Baxter, they took a trip to the Civil Rights Museum and um, with the African-American Student Association. And through a series of events, he really discovered how, how much of an impact that white allies had on all the civil rights movements here in our country. And he started like really thinking about that. And that's where Racism Stinks was kind of born because racism is historically a black and white issue. 
He knew that it's something that people have a visceral reaction to. He didn't want, you know, Black Lives Matter. Somebody could argue against that. So it could be divisive. All Lives Matter. Someone could argue against that. Blue Lives Matter. But who can argue against racism stinks, right? And so he used the skunk because it is a stinky issue. You know what I mean? And of course, the skunk is black and white. But he uses it. He he. The branding was as a soft approach. It wasn't like, oh, hey, let's skip, let's hold hands and skip down uh, reconciliation way or Greenwood and and you know la 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 racism stinks. No, it really is one of those like we bring people in, <laughs> we bring people in, and and we are gentle about it. It is the ABCs of allyship because some people some people can go from A to Z and they're ready to go to the city council meeting. We have allies here in the city who will show up at every city council meeting and give them the what for. We have people who will march. We have people who will write checks. We have people who will volunteer. We have people who are just quietly, you know, doing what they can without a lot of fanfare. There are so many different ways to be an ally and to do your part. And so that's what we wanted to present to people, that there's no one way to be an ally. And you can be an ally in a way that will give you the, that courage and that confidence and that competency. I feel like I'm talking a lot. No, I mean, you are, you are the guest. <laughs> yeah. It's usually better. Trust me. Our, our listeners would much rather right. listen to somebody other than us. So <laughs> they've heard us enough. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they've heard, they've heard our shenanigans. Uh, yeah. I, so do you ever, and this, this, this is an honest question. I want, I want, I want you to be honest with me. How exhausting does it get sometimes trying to explain to white people how to be a good ally? There are different varying levels. Um, I think, and, I, and when I had the beta test, I had some really great people who, um, who, were, who did that. We had 13 different community members from all walks of life, all white or white presenting, all ages, all different economic brackets. So it was really a good mix. And, and it was such that I, that was the first time I ever verbalized to white people or people who want to be allies or who feel like they already are, that some of the most damaging things have come from people with the good intentions. You know what I mean? And um, so sometimes I think the, the thing that kind of makes me facepalm the most are the people who um, who don't realize that um, that they have brought some of that those same tactics to allyship you know what I mean? Like that they have, that they, that they haven't done enough disrupting the system within themselves before they start preaching to other people. Um, if that makes sense, as far as people who don't get it, I'm going to be 100% honest. Like racism stinks is not for those who don't want to get it. It's for those who are curious, who know something is wrong and want to do something about it. And, but those who don't want to get it, who have no, I like, I know I probably shouldn't say this, but I literally waste zero energy on them because like, it's just not for you. It's just not your time. I'm not here to convince you of anything because this is crazy. Like pick up Google, <laughs> you know, pick up a book. Like it, it ain't hard to find, you know what I mean? And so what, what you start to see, and, you, and we start to see this not just within the context of racism and social justice, but in many areas, the cognitive dissonance. And I know people that it's an overused term, but it applies so well right here in our society in 2022, like literally, like it is just, and I don't know if it's a way for people to cope 
or like some type of protecting themselves, but just the lengths that people will go to to twist themselves into this false reality to believe something that literally does not make sense or to say, I know that the sky looks blue, but I'm going to go ahead and say that it's purple. You know what I mean? It, it, it never ceases to amaze me. But in order for me to keep my peace, you guys, I just don't waste energy with, with people who have to be convinced. I'm not at all. That's for our white allies to do. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's, right. that's the least. That's, right. that's the least we can we do. We, we do yeah. the uh, upfront work, right? We're supposed to do the upfront work yeah. and then send them your way once we've once they've been deprogrammed. That is really really wild to hear that. And you know what, Chris? What you just said, you like literally. If I could actually <laughs> write that as a mission statement, what is racism sinks mission to deprogram people? Because that's literally what we're like trying to deprogram off of, you know, we've been running on this old operating system for the last 120 years. It's really time mm-hmm. to upgrade, you guys. Like, let's go ahead and and take that one off and upload a new one that actually makes more sense. Because what you see what's happening with the cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. the anger and all that, you all, you're trying to run on an old program and you're lying, you're like, you're telling your five senses that they're lying to you. So... Well, to use another example, the, the you know, the debate around uh, guns and gun violence and stuff like that, you see people coming out and trying to claim that a lot of these, ma- um, you know, mass shootings are false flag, um, you know, that the government is doing it to try to take away guns because they don't want to admit to themselves that what they've been advocating for is directly or indirectly leading to a lot of people dying. So the They've gotten so far down the road that if they admit that, then what does it mean about everything else they've done? Right. And so racism is like that. I mean, that was difficult. I had to sit and look back and like, okay, what got me here? Knowing Mm -hmm. I did what I did, but what about the system helped me get where I am and maybe kept somebody else from getting here? You know, that's something that I have to think about. And that's difficult for me. And that's something that I've tried to live with. For people who haven't tried to approach that, I, I mean, it's very mm-hmm. difficult. So it's easier for them to think, well, the reason I have what I have exactly. is because I pulled myself by you my hit bootstraps. It on the head. And the reason you don't have what you have is because you're lazy or you're not working hard <laughs> or, or whatever. Like, who has bootstraps anymore anyway? Oh, I hate that expression. Uh, I, I was going to say earlier, just make sure you don't like ever brand something a racism stinks reprogramming camp. Like, I don't think that's going to do well. So just call it something else. Yeah. No, you, yeah don't not. call it that either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reeducation. No, camp. Doesn't work either. Doesn't work. Yeah. Even though it's yeah. correct. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. well, what's, you know, Chris building off your thing, the cognitive dissonance even goes another level up when it comes to the people who want to believe in false flags, who, don't want to control guns, but then talk about how it's a mental health issue, but then don't want to elect candidates who will give us universal right. health and, care. And so like, I'm like, let's just pretend. What, what is it what? then? What is the solution? I'm also not the person who thinks that our don't government have these is so benign. You know, I watch Blacklist. I know what's going on. Hey, I'm woke. I'm just, <laughs> but what? But what if it is true? At the end of the day, it doesn't change the fact <laughs> that, these, you know what I mean? That there's an issue in our country concerning these weapons and, and children and like, and it's just so weird that 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 we can just gloss up like until it affects you, until you're one of the people like at the parade. Like I, I, I was watching. I try not to watch, honestly, any news anymore, but I watched some clips of what happened at the parade in uh, in um, Highland Park. And 
just to hear one woman say, oh, no, oh, no. Like you can hear it in her voice. Like, I can't believe that I am actually here and this is happening, you know, and it's just wild to me. Like, um, I don't I, y'all. <laughs> I mean, I listen, I, I understand being questioning the news you see and being curious about facts you're not being told. But when you go far enough to call and badger and, and, and bother people who you think are pretending to have children who died in a, a mass shooting, then that's something else, right? That is, that's that, Jesse, that is something else. And like, you know what? That is like when you actually see, especially the what happened in Uvalde and watching those parents and their grief and for people to say that that was a false flag and that like, I can't, like, I can't even imagine, like, you know, the horror. There was one particular woman, I know we're probably getting off topic, there was one particular woman, because they had, the kids had an award ceremony that day and it was just so eerie seeing their pictures not knowing like just a couple of hours later they were going to be gone. And there was a woman uh, um, who lost her daughter and she couldn't even speak. Her daughter was like, when I was a teacher and when I'm, when, when my kids, when I would go up to the school, all kids, Hey, can you check me out? I want to go home. Check me out. Check me out early. And her daughter was wanting her to check her out early. And she told her no, that she would be back later after. So, you know, and like what, and then even with what's happening in Highland, what happened in Highland park and like, the, I was reading because nobody really talks about, we talk about the people who died, but no one really talks about the other people who were injured and the, the emotional stress and the financial stress and all the things that they now have to go through. And then even the people who were just there now it's just layer upon layer upon layer of, of trauma. And yet our politicians, it's like, guys, we, it's, if it's, if it's we, the people, when is it really going to be we the people? Like it's some and and I I used I tell I told Baxter this all the time. I don't know when I started saying this. Maybe two years ago, I was like that pendulum swing is going to come the other way, and that's what I feel like we're just seeing like this, like we're just like this, you know, just back and forth, back and forth as a society. One of my not fears, but one of my concerns is that like as things just keep like ratcheting up more and more and more and more, that we um, really start to lose sight. And, and you kind of saw the blowback with politicians who've never heard of a critical race theory in their life. Now all of a sudden, oh, y'all, oh, Jesus. I was in the comments on Facebook about the, the Tulsa school board meeting and one woman was like, well, they're, they're teaching that critical race theory over there. <laughs> ma'am. I wish ma'am, they were, ma'am, to be honest with you. you. <laughs> what right? is wrong with that? Right. <laughs> Right. It's not even that. It's it's amazing to me. It's another case of politicians creating laws for yeah. a thing that doesn't exist. That's I mean, Oklahoma's great at that. I mean, we love it, doing uh, that. Uh, yeah. Oh. Do you remember when they outlined yeah. outlawed Sharia law? Here? Oh, yeah. That was my <laughs> right, yeah. president. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh my god. Because all because all of a sudden all the American women were going to be forced to cover up because Obama yeah. was president. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like, so that's that's why we're here. You know, I wish that this wasn't an uh, an issue. I wish that, you know, and, and it's never going to go away. So I've had to come to terms with this idea 
that I'm not here to eradicate racism because mm-hmm. that's never going to happen. But what I want to do and what I want racism things to do as an organization is to provide an opportunity for people um, to educate themselves and become aware in an environment that is, you know, again, a, a safe place really to ask questions. You know, it's got, you know, to, to be able to interact with each other. And when you have somebody, it, it's what, what state are we in as people? And I know, when someone is afraid, when I used to wait tables, I actually had a guy afraid to order a Negro Modelo because I'm black. He didn't. He didn't want to say Negro. He was just like, "Can I have a, a Modelo?" You know what I mean? Or if someone doesn't know, like, to say black or African American or what, all of these that we the the conversation on race will never go anywhere as long as we have white identified people and white people justifiably so. To, afraid to even say to to use everyday terms, and so this is a problem as well. And so, how can we have a deep conversation about systemic racism and and how it impacts us today if you don't even know if you can if it's okay to say call me black or African American? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So that's another reason why we exist. Because yeah, ask me all the black questions. I represent all black people. Just kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> but I can right. provide a little yeah. clarity. You know what I mean? And and our organization can provide a little clarity as you go on your journey of introspection. I I think it's fascinating the way that language and food and things like that have been used as tools to continue to separate, to make it uncomfortable. You know, it's like the the history behind how uh, fried chicken and watermelon became racist, right? It was because Black people, Black women especially, were becoming very successful entrepreneurs selling both of those things very successfully. Wow. So there was a concerted campaign to make it seem that that was racist. See? And I didn't and even know that. Yeah, it's, I watch a lot of food shows. It would just it happen to be an intersection <laughs> Listen, I, want, I don't want those food shows teaching critical race theory. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, hey, right, no, yes. congressman, that food network <laughs> right. full of commies. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's fascinating to me that that a lot of the things that's that people are afraid because that came up when I was, you know, waiting tables, you know, people were sensitive about, Oh, should I offer this table fried chicken? Well, there's black people. Do I, is that, is that wrong? You know, stuff like that. Right. Because people get so in their heads, people get so in their heads with that stuff. And so they either end up reinforcing their own racism or they don't talk about it. That's right. And see the thing too, is because we're so stuck. I mean, I don't know, Jesse, if you ever worked in restaurants, but if you've worked in restaurants for a long period of time, you understand that like everybody is at risk of getting made fun of for everything. That's just kind of the restaurant environment. You know what I mean? And like, honestly, like you lose when when we're so stuck, when we can't even get past the things that make us different and can't celebrate each other for our differences, then we lose like a lot of opportunities to like really have fun with each other. And that's one of the things that I do miss about um, working in a restaurant is because everybody was fair game. And, you know, and it's just, it, it it is what it was. But I know what you mean, Chris. It's just like, you have a table full of Black people and you're like, get the raspberry lemonade ready. You know what I mean? <laughs> Y'all can laugh. That's funny. It's true. We like, we like lemonade. <laughs> I was, I worked at Chili's, so it was, we had strawberry lemonade, not raspberry lemonade. I think, I mean, I've, it's really all about how you present when you have to do something like that, right? Be like, listen, these are our specials today. I've told this to every other table. 
Just know that. <laughs> I mean, don't say it like that. <laughs> just want to make it clear. I, I know this is know. weird. I'm- like, I mean, we're, we're, listen, you can't tell me that like restaurant menus don't also have like hidden biases to them. Like it's there everywhere. Right. And it's, it's right. It's, it's like how much energy you want to put into it fighting is. it versus yeah. like responding to it. Right. There we go. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said, Chris, earlier, because that literally is like you summed it up. It's not about walking around like, oh, my God, granddaddy, how could you? It's about an opportunity to be like, listen, y'all, we have a very shadowy, dark past in this country and a not so in a very recent past and a, and a dark presence in this country. <laughs> and a dark future. <laughs> <Maybe> dark future. <laughs> so let's all but, go just kill ourselves. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, but. We have an opportunity. We talk about this in Tulsa all the time. Tulsa had the opportunity to really exemplify what it means to come from something so terrible and actually become what we wanted to be, one Tulsa. But if we keep burying our head in the sand about the truth, then we will never move past it. And we have to come, like, looking at yourself in the mirror on a personal level, when you know that you have things to work on, you know, if you have bad credit, you need to uh, exercise. I mean, now I'm telling on myself, right? I'm just what kidding, else would you like to work on, You know Crystal? what I mean? All the things that- <laughs> right. But, you know, as you start to become aware and, like, you look in the mirror and understand that regardless of all the things that led up to the decisions that I made in my life, ultimately, I'm accountable for my life and I need to change. And it's hard to look in that mirror and face that I did this to myself regardless Baxter always says all the time when people talk about the system and when he talks about um, arrests and juvenile arrests and, and, and the justice system and people sometimes automatically want to jump to social determinants or or systemic racism as a reason why that person led that person to a life of crime. That may be well and good. But what Baxter says is when that person goes on the stand, the system is not on trial. It's that individual person. So America, what is happening with America with the use of technology, with Generation Z coming up, not really putting up with a lot of things. With COVID happening, a lot of bad things happen with COVID. But on the flip side of that, a lot of things happen where people were able to like um, live more richer lives. They they decided to do things that make them happy. They started shedding things that didn't matter. But in America, a, a mirror, 2016, again, I don't blame Donald Trump for racism. Racism was here long before that man was alive. But what 2016, I think, was help hold up a mirror to people, a lot of like well-meaning, even more progressive and liberal whites to say like, y'all, this is what we've been saying. Like a lot of people who were white identifying were shocked. They they were like, this is not who we are. We were like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but uh, yeah. <laughs> right. oh, yeah, man. But America doesn't want to America doesn't want to look at itself. No. Right now, America keeps like, you know, letting the bat letting the bathroom mirror get dirty and dirty every time they brush their teeth, they get toothpaste splatter on it. They don't want to clean that mirror off and look at itself. But what, what we're being forced to right now, and as, as an individual, when you're being forced to come to terms with your actions and your bad decisions, it hurts. And that's what's happening right now. And and that's why I think we're seeing such a backlash. How are you gonna ban teaching history? Like, how are you literally like how is this even possible? Like, and I'll say this to end, racism is not, Black people didn't create racism over here in this country. You know, we didn't create any of the laws that, you know, that tried to, like, kill, break us physically, financially, emotionally. So we didn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, 
when when this when society told us to get over there and make our own way and stay away from us, that's what we did. And then guess what? Then our communities were burned down. And other thing, and then the Federal Highway Act, you know, came and 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 did the rest. You know, and then you had the the drug war and all these different things and all these different things that led to this. But we're all here now. What can we do? Say, hey, yeah, guys, yeah, haha. <laughs> what about that founding? But let's let's come together now. And of course, it's not going to happen on a macro level. But if we on a micro level as individuals start doing that inner work in ourselves, going out in our communities and really not being afraid to look at ourselves in the mirror, I do believe that this world will I, I will probably never see it. We'll probably never see it. But I do believe that the good things can come from this time. That's a much more optimistic note than we normally end on. So, uh, listen, it's true. Like, again, you know, history isn't a a straight line to 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 uh, to progress or freedom. It's a sort of a wavy, turny line, but it does get better, just slower and in weirder ways than we think it's going to. It arcs. It it arcs ish towards justice. I mean, next time I come on, we'll start. We can talk about how. House. No, we probably shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> well, we'll have you on again because we actually didn't get to Telsa specific uh, as I would uh, as I'd like to. But okay. um, but before That's we go, true. just tell everybody how they can support racism stinks. When what's the best way to do it? What what they can volunteer for? How they sign up for that boot camp? Okay, all that stuff. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, so if you're interested in the Ally Boot Camp, which we hope to launch um, in in January of 2023. Please contact me, Chrysler Racism Stinks. Please follow us on social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram at Racism Stinks, and the Twitters at Racism Stinks. So all the social medias and, um, yeah, dot org. <laughs> yeah, are you on Truth um, Social? RacismStinks.org. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but if you want to jump in and get involved, our next big event is uh, will be our eighth annual Race Against Tulsa's Race Against Racism, which um, it's a 5K uh, fun run walk. And um and as our participants, you know, travel down the historic route through Green the Greenwood District, you are symbolically stomping out racism. It's more of an act of like community and together. It's people from all walks of life that come to that. We do need volunteers for that. So again, just reach out to me if you like to donate to Racism Stinks. Um, we have all the all the PayPal, the Cash App, all the things, and you can find a link on our website if you believe in what we're doing. And um and the mission and, and, and our vision for Tulsa and our community that we hope to take outside of Tulsa, um, pretty you know, within, you know, a significant amount of time. But we we really plan on pushing this, pushing this mission out. Um, you know, every bit helps and and we really appreciate, you know, whether you can give any support, whether it's following engaging with us on social media, volunteering or donating, donating your time or your dollars. We really appreciate it. Uh, can people buy and you I was going to say, can you buy that merch? All right, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we will put a link to all of that in our show notes. And um, awesome. the, the the 5K happens around the October, October 8th. 8th. All right. It's the same weekend as OU Texas. So you can still sign up. We'll be done by the time kickoff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's all right. College football's dead now anyway, apparently, if you're reading the news. <laughs> right. So, uh, well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, yes, guys. Thank you. It was awesome. I had a great time. Thank you all for listening to our episode with Crystal. Please go check out Racism Stinks, volunteer, sign up for their uh, 5K, buy some merch, all the good stuff. And if you're interested about helping people out on the internet, 
please make sure to follow Pod for Good on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Where I'm going to start trying to, to do some TikToks. We'll see how that goes. Um, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Again, if you do, we will read it on air. As always, get it done, Telsa. Broken Arrow, get your shit together. Stay safe out there. <laughs>